The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We have been studying uh, this last number of months back into the fall, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, of looking at what we have said is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that's ever preached, that Jesus taught this sermon His kingdom ministry had been inaugurated. He had been baptized by John the Baptist. He had come uh, up uh, from the river. And it says that the Spirit of God descended upon him, that he went about after that preaching the good news of the kingdom. That he comes in now in Matthew chapter 5 and he sits uh, with the disciples. And he begins to teach them about this new kingdom that is being established of what life in the kingdom was all about, how relationship with him, the true king, was to be understood. Because you see, he was saying to them and to us, you've never been a part of a kingdom like this. This is an upside down kingdom. This is a kingdom that is absolutely different from the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world are built upon your abilities. The kingdom of this world are under sovereigns and kings and queens who use their kingdom for their own benefit and mercilessly use the citizens of the kingdom for their own benefit. Going to, again, the Gambia this week, the former president is now being accused of stealing upwards of a billion dollars from the people of Gambia and living in exile. And it's no wonder that humanity has great question marks about coming and being a part of a kingdom, to being a part of something where somebody has rule over them. And Jesus is speaking to us and saying, listen, you've already been ruled. You're being ruled by someone. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't claim Him as your King, I will say to you, you are still being ruled. You have a sovereign. That you've given your allegiance to whatever it is of this world, a worldview or a philosophy or a religion or political cause. It's ruling over you. And Jesus is saying to you and He's saying to all of us, I want to tell you what life in my kingdom is like. Because it's different. You're viewed differently. You are the person most to be envied because blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed. You're blessed because of these traits. In every other kingdom, you're not blessed. In every other kingdom, the strong are at the top. But in this kingdom, the weak are at the top. In every other kingdom, only the perfect to get put on the front covers, uh, and only the perfect are remembered throughout the ages. But in this kingdom, the imperfect are the ones who are honored most. In this kingdom, we relate differently with one another. We relate differently to marriage. We relate differently to our wealth. We relate differently to sex and sexuality. We relate differently to politics. We relate differently to everything because it's a different kingdom, and you don't understand And he said, and I want you to understand especially how to relate to your heavenly father. Because he knew that intrinsically we have difficulty relating with fathers. Some of us had incredible, wonderful fathers, but they were still human and they had their their stuff. 
We realize even as fathers, and we make that vow early on, I'm not going to do to my kids what my dad did to me. I'm going to break that. I'm going to be totally different. And we realize our kids still need counseling. We realize that we've damaged them because we, really, we are we're fallen and we're, we're weak. And if you have been abused at all by an earthly father, And you have no idea how to come to a heavenly father. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand how to approach your heavenly father and talk to him. First, you're going to talk to him as a father. But a different kind of father. He's a father who's in heaven. He's a father who is is not uh, tainted by the fall. He's a father who can perfectly love, perfectly rule. And he's a father who is also a king. That he has a name that is great, hallowed in all of the world. And he has a kingdom that is established. And he has a will that will be done in this world as it is in heaven. And so he establishes this this kingdom language and this kingdom relationship. And he's teaching us. And I hope that this series over the last months, and especially this series on prayer, has been encouraging to you. I've heard from many of you. And I want you to hear from me. It is shaping how I both pray and live. Because this prayer, when the disciples came and said, we don't even know how to pray. This prayer is a shaping, informative prayer, not just about how you pray, but how you live. That hopefully over these last weeks together, that each day as you wake up and you begin to engage the day, you say, I'm engaging the day as a beloved child of my Heavenly Father. Is that how you started today? I hope that was near the first thought that you had. I hope it was near the first thought that when you looked in the mirror, isn't that what you thought? I'm a beloved child of the King in all my grandeur and glory. Isn't that how you view yourself in the mirror? But it should shape how we understand ourselves. That we start each day, I'm beloved. I am cared for. I am provided for. And I want to go out into this world and I want to bring glory and honor through my life. Not just my prayer life, but through my life. I want to bring glory and honor to His name to show the world that His name is the name that is above every name and that it has gravitas, it has weight, it has significance and I bear that name in how I drive, in how I live, in how I eat, in how I study, in how I do business, in how I face cancer, in how I face relationships, in everything that I do. I want His name to be hallowed. That I recognize that his kingdom is being established and I want to help to establish that kingdom in the world. That I trust that his will will be done. And I can trust him because he's a good father. And that's how I begin the day. And then I say, and Lord, would you give us this day our daily bread? Would you provide for my daily need? Knowing that you will. For what kind of father wouldn't give to his child what he needs or she needs each and every day? And one of the things that I most desperately need is to be forgiven. Would you forgive me my debts as I forgive those who are indebted towards me? Father, would you do a work in me and and let me see my need? And would the gospel come more alive? Would the cross expand so greatly in my life that I am being transformed regularly and constantly and daily and moment by moment? And in that, I recognize that I am able to forgive those who have wronged me, that I recognize that my heavenly father has basically said to me, Bill, I'm giving you $25 million. It's in the bank. 
that righteousness given to me. It's perfect. It's all yours. And then someone comes to me and they say, hey, I'm sorry, I haven't been able uh, to pay you back that 20 bucks. What would any reasonable person who just got given $25 million do? Don't worry about it. Because if you don't forgive those, then you yourself have shown that you don't understand forgiveness. That's what he's saying. If you recognize what you've been forgiven, if you recognize what has been deposited in your account, what has been given to you, then you can forgive even the most heinous of sin because I promise you, as bad as it is, it is nothing in comparison to the sin that we've done towards the Heavenly Father. He says once you understand that, you become a forgiving person. And in your forgiveness, you show that the gospel is at work within you. And then from that place of humility, we come to this sixth and final petition. Now, Heavenly Father, King of all things, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, this is a prayer that comes at the end, but it doesn't mean it's the least important. It is a prayer that in some ways is the most important. So saying, I understand everything that I've prayed and I recognize now that in order to, to live this life, in order to accomplish what it is uh, that I've been praying, I need you to fight a battle for me that I cannot fight on my own. So let's ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word and the teaching from it this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty uh, of Christ and the King who is teaching us and training us and helping us to understand how to relate to you, how to relate to ourselves, how to relate to the world around us. So, Father, now teach us the beauty of your word. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. This is the very word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Then the father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what they need, what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of it. Amen. This prayer, at least this petition within the prayer, is Jesus teaching us to pray something like this. Make me the kind of person... That when I get into temptation, when I face difficulty, uh, when I go into tests, instead of being overcome by evil, I find myself leaning more into you. Father, would you make me the kind of person that is drawn to you, not drawn away from you when difficulties and trials come? For you see, this word that is translated temptation is a particular word within uh, the Greek used in the New Testament that's used 21 times in the New Testament. 
And 20 of those 21 times, it's translated test or trial. That in that, it is a word that is, that is saying something more like this. It's a testing or a trial. It's the word used of, uh, by Peter that be aware of fiery trials. We're going to unpack that in a moment. But it's a, it's a sense here of saying, Father, do not allow us to come under the sway of a trial, a test that will overpower us and cause us to sin. Father, don't lead us into a test or a trial that's so great that it would lead us to be overwhelmed and to lead us to sin against you. And so we're going to unpack this, and I'm going to be using the word test or trial synonymous with the word temptation, but taking it in a different place because this is different from a word that we would simply use temptation. That if you're trying not to eat ice cream and you go to sit down in Ben and Jerry's and smell the waffle cones being cooked and baked there, and you're going to go, oh, don't lead me into temptation. That's not what this prayer is about. This prayer is so much more profound than that. This petition is so much more than that. And for so many of us, we've glossed it and left it there. This is a prayer uh, that is saying, Father, at a deep level, when the trials and tests come, would you keep them from overwhelming me and keep me faithful to you and leaning and being drawn to you, not away from you? So we're going to look briefly at three things. First is this. Trials are normal normative or normal in the Christian life. Trials are normal in the Christian life. I say that out of the gate uh, to say to you, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're one who's sort of uh, interested in Christianity and tiptoeing back into the church, I want to say to you, this is something you need to understand because too often what is communicated within the church, and for some of you, you've bought into this lie because this was the kind of church you were raised in that said this, come to Jesus and everything's going to be fine. Got a bad marriage? Come to Jesus. Give us about six weeks. Your marriage will sing. You got financial problems? That takes a little while longer, but come to Jesus and give us ten weeks. We should be able to have you right. Addiction? Now that's several months, if not a year uh, of work. Uh, But we still come to Jesus and it'll be fine. Come to Jesus and if you have enough faith in Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. Cancer will never come to you. Divorce will never enter into your home. One of your children won't be decimated by sin. Uh, when, uh, if something bad won't happen in your life and you've bought into that lie. So when difficulties do come, you're shipwrecked. Jesus is teaching first and foremost temptation, trial. It was normative in my life, so guess what? If you're following me, it's going to be normative in yours. Trials, testing, difficulties... They're part of being a follower of Jesus Christ because remember, just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus had just been baptized. His public ministry had just been inaugurated. He came up out of the water. His heavenly Father spoke and said, You are my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. And Jesus was led by the Spirit, chapter 4, into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and it moves through uh, all of this. And in verse 11, it says, And the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus says, There was testing and trials within my life. There's going to be testing and trials within your life. Don't be surprised by them. Don't be surprised by them. How many of you, if if you want to be honest, that would be great. How many of you 
have been caught off guard or surprised in your life when trials and testings come? Most of us have. And I want you to start shifting. Jesus is teaching in His kingdom. Trials are going to come within His kingdom. Difficulties are going to come within His kingdom. Peter said these great words, don't be surprised. He was preaching to the church in Rome. Don't be surprised when fiery fiery trials come upon you. Same word, fiery trials, big, significant trials. Christians are not supposed to be shocked. We're not supposed to be shaken when these things enter into our lives. But I'll tell you this, much of the discouragement that many Christians face many church attenders face is not because of the trial. It's because you were surprised by it. You didn't expect it. You bought into a bill of goods. You bought into a lie that said, if I just go to church enough, if I just give enough, if I'm just faithful enough, if I just study enough, if I have my quiet time in the morning, if I do all of these things, if I'm trying to be a good Christian, then everything's going to be okay. And folks, that, as one pastor put it, smells like smoke. It's from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. That lie. That in the Christian life, there are no trials that come. Too many of us get derailed when life's tests and trials and temptations come our way because we're not prepared. I know of a student who uh, had a pretty sharp mind, but this student, uh, when they were in high school and then on into college and, and in seminary, um, it's a friend uh, who uh, had this propensity uh, to wait until the last minute to study. Loved those professors and teachers who gave the syllabus at the beginning of the semester and said, we're going to have a test here, here, and here. And I loved those kind of professors. Because then I could do nothing for most of the time, and then the night before, I would study like crazy, I'd get just enough information in to brain dump for the hour or so, and I'd make a decent grade and move on. Now the professors that I couldn't stand and didn't really have an appreciation for were those, and the syllabus said this, you will be tested regularly on the material, be prepared. When's regular? Well, you need to come to class. You need to read the material. You need to study. You need to own it. You need to digest it. And when I give you an exam, you'll know that that's the day of the exam. Mr. McCutcheon, is there anything else you need? No, sir, thank you. That's how we are. If we knew and we said, hey, God, is cancer going to come if I could rub my little crystal ball and look into the future and see, oh, difficulty is going to come in January. I'll get ready for it in December. It would be good. But God says, hey, I'm not going to tell you when, but I can tell you it will come. And when it comes, you need to be prepared. And here's how you prepare. You lean into His Word. You want to know why you should be devouring this every single day and studying this every single day and praying every single day? So that when you're tempted, tested like Christ, our true King was tempted and tested, and that Satan tried to manipulate the Word and said, hey, you're hungry? Turn these stones into bread. He knew the Word so well. He goes, oh, I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he said, hey, I'm going to take you up to a high part and I'm going to look out in all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you just bow the knee to me. You shall have no other gods before me. 
He knew the word so well that he could make it in the midst of the trial. He was expecting it. He was prepared for it. And you're going, yeah, but he was Jesus. He knew the word. He was the word. That's not fair. He had the cheat sheet. Folks, we have the same opportunity that he has to know this and to appropriate it. Go buy for yourself and put it uh, on, in your library, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You won't make it through with a dry eye to see these incredible saints just like me and you standing, suffering, being burned at the stake, being torn apart for their faith and doing it with such such grace and dignity and all the time of coming back to God's word and saying, you can take my life. But you can't take my hope. Simple people like us who were prepared when difficulties came. We need to know the material and remove the surprise and to be prepared because trials come in life, in the Christian life especially. That's the first thing. We've got to move a little more quickly on the next couple. The next thing that we need to learn and that we do learn from this is that we need to approach these trials with humility. We need to approach these trials with humility. This is a prayer of a person who recognizes the dangers of life and its trials. She knows that there are temptations that have the power to overwhelm her soul and to lead her away from her Savior. And so this incredibly humble person who just finished praying, Father, forgive me my sins. Forgive me my debts recognizes I am I'm someone who breaks his beautiful and holy law constantly and need forgiveness. And I am also the kind of person who would be so tempted, who would be so tried that I would walk away from the beauty of my Savior. And so with great humility, I plead to my Heavenly Father, Father, don't let this happen to me. Give me enough faith to make it through in the midst of it. There is no bring it on mentality. There is no Lieutenant Dan hanging out at the top of a mast saying, God, give me your best. Oh, what a non-Christian position. The Christian is the penitent one on their hands and knees going, Father, give me the strength to make it through what I'm about to face. I've got chemo. I've got divorce. I've got this coming up. Life is good right now and it seems to be flying high. But would you prepare me now for when the trial does come? Because I know it's going to come at some time. But Father, I need Your strength in the midst of this. Because you see, Peter, who was sitting right around here, he didn't get it, did he? Because Peter, at the last meal, when Jesus said, all of you, you're going to fall away. What did Peter say? The other 11? I've sized them up. Yep. Especially Judas. The other guys, them too. James, John, full of vibrato. No guts. But me, Jesus, I'll never fall away. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go to both prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, 
the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And what was the trial? What was the fiery furnace that he was facing? A little girl around a fire pit. You're one of the Galileans, aren't you? You've got that southern accent, like a southern Galilean, the same that Jesus has. You must be one of him. I am not. I am not. And he called down curses from heaven. He said, I'm not. And the rooster crowed and he saw Jesus look at him. And this same Peter teaches us in the midst of that moment in his beautiful letter to the churches in Rome when he says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And friends, he devoured me. He circled around me looking for weakness and he found the weakness in my pride. And it was in that moment of pride that he attacked and I denied the beauty of my Lord and my Savior. It can be true lions and it can be true fire or it can simply be a friend at school saying, you stand for Jesus? Or as a single adult saying, what, you're going to hold to some moral code that's outdated and not have sex before marriage? Or as a business person, a associate going, hey, why don't we just do a little side deal under the table here? No one will have to know. Trials and temptations take all forms in the middle of this. But we need to recognize our weakness and our vulnerability, and we need to recognize the strength of our adversary. What Peter had come to understand was the incredible strength of the adversary. He says, who prowls around like a lion looking for a weak point, looking to come and to attack. That the Lord said to Cain, Cain, be very careful for evil. It, 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 it brings itself in. It crouches at your door. And its desire is to have you. It's hiding itself. It's making itself look small and insignificant. But when it pounces with all of its energy and all of its might, this adversary, the evil one, he has a mission statement and it is to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. You need to recognize that there is an adversary. How many of you have read C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters? Not enough of you. I'd encourage the rest of you, go get that and read it. For in it, one of the great things that Screwtape, the chief demon, says is, oh, the greatest duping that we've done to humanity is they don't believe that we exist. I'm going to a country this week that fully believes in the power of evil within the world. They see it. They understand it. We live in a country that says evil, Satan, he's this bifurcated tongue and, and all of these things and he's a little pitchfork and he's on the can of some potted meat. He's not a big deal to me. Peter would go, he's a big deal. And you need to understand this, that he that is this evil one is constantly luring us towards his minefields and towards the pits that only the Father's constant and powerful care can keep us from. The word that you pray and I pray, deliver us from evil, the best synonym is snatch. It's a violent word. Snatch us from evil. 
And it's this picture of us walking through life and recognizing with great humility, I'm vulnerable. I don't have a perception of everything around me. I have my blind spots. I can't see. I've got my pride. I've got all of these things. So Father, I'm walking through and there are minefields and there's pitfalls that are all around and there's tests and trials and temptations. And I need you as my heavenly Father who has the perfect view and the perfect vantage point. I need you in your powerful grasp to reach down and snatch me When you see me going towards something that's going to destroy me and lead me away from the thing that I love more than anything else. Have you ever seen those videos on YouTube of dads snatching their kids when they're falling? It's awesome. The kid flying off of a swing and the dad's like, got him. The kid on a bike and falling off. Dad, got him. That's this picture of dad, heavenly dad, looking at you and going, I got you. I'm saving you from peril. I'm keeping you. In the midst of this, I was on a roller coaster many years ago with Zach and Will, and they were little and they were beside me, and the bar didn't come down far enough to hit my then gut and also help them, and we went over a a hump, and I looked to my left, and Zach was safe, but to my right, Will was heading out, and Lisa was behind, saying, this was your idea. (laughs) And as Will was heading out, it was a grab. It was a taking and putting him back into safety. That's this picture, friend. It recognizes that deliverance from the evil one is not within humanity's grasp. This power, for this, the power and grace of God are needed. Only a humble person will pray that. That I need thee every hour. O gracious Savior, Lord, I come to thee. And then the final thing. And we don't have time to fully unpack it today. But it's this. Once we know that we should expect trials to come and that we need to approach these trials with humility, the last thing is to understand that trials come within the Father's love. That trials come within the Father's love. This final petition is not separated from all of the others. The prayer begins with our Father who art in heaven. This same Father who loves you immeasurably, is the Father. Now, those words, our Father, grammatically and theologically, they cover and they modify every petition. That you are not simply saying, come to, oh great God and powerful King, but oh Heavenly Father, you love me. And I know that you love me and you'll never put me in a situation that will be so overwhelming for me. And that you'll never leave me so exposed and alone uh, that I'm going to be destroyed. But you're a heavenly and a loving Father. It's Jesus Christ saying, I want you to remember that you are an adopted child of God. That God is your Father and because He's your Father, thinking of Him as your Father, I want you to look at your tests and your troubles and your problems differently than you do. I want you to see them differently. Just as those trials shaped Jesus, They shape us as well. How is it that for some, the diagnosis of cancer leads them to despondency, despair, and anger, and for others, it leads them to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? I would imagine that most of the time, it's because the person who is drawn towards God recognizes that it's a loving Father who doesn't do anything arbitrarily or punitively. He does things that will draw us to our to him that we can relate to James 
and say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, same word, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is using these things to shape us into the image of His Son. The very things that we're wanting to go away are sometimes the very things that we need most to be more like our Savior. And so the question is, when trials come, how will you respond? Let me say this quickly. These trials, they do leave marks, don't they? How many of you have been wounded by a trial, a temptation, a test in your life? All of us. Jesus was too, because it says right after he was tempted by the enemy, what happened? It said that the angels came and ministered to him. Friends, don't think that you've got to go through this and that you can't roll up your sleeves and go look at these scars. These are the wounds of battles fought. And those nights of incredible tears. And those nights of praying, Father, if it be Your will, take this cup. I can't handle this cup. But not my will, but Yours be done. In those moments, there's a ministering that happens to your spirit by His Spirit. How many of you have had those nights? The reason I ask you to raise your hands isn't for me to see. I want you to see one another. That in the midst of these trials and the battles, they're hard. But I want you to know there is one who is with you who has battled through them as well. And he's come out on the other side victorious. And he will never look at you and say, oh, you weak little foolish kid. He will be drawn towards you. He will give you the strength that he had to make it through. And he says that he will send his spirit and his angels to minister to us. So friends, here's some good news for you this week. Cheer up. Difficulties are coming. But cheer up. Your God is greater than any difficulty that you will face. And He loves you deeply. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word which challenges us. It pierces us even to marrow and bone. Father, for some who are here, they are hanging on by a thread. The trials of life, the difficulties are about to lead them to walk away. And I pray that you would pull them back today, that they're here for a reason today, so that they wouldn't fall away, that they wouldn't walk away, but that they would see you and be turned back to you and that your spirit would minister to them now. For others of us who are in the midst of seasons of life where there are no trials, where things are going so well, I pray that you would root your word so deeply in us that we would be prepared when difficulties do come and that you would make us incredibly sensitive and caring to those who are dealing with difficulties. And for others who are here today and they don't know you and they are being tossed about by fate and by simple, arbitrary things that seem to be happening in the world and in their lives, I pray that they would come running to a king who would make and give meaning to everything. Meaning to their lives, meaning to their suffering, meaning to their joy, and hope for eternity. Would they come running to you, King Jesus, and bend the knee today? Father, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness to us. And we sing to your glory. Amen. Let's stand.